Indeed, the Gospels are often uncomfortable. Today is a good point in case in that, and uh, if you heard our epistle lesson this morning, we see that the Gospel is undoubtedly uncomfortable, and as it will be, as Jesus makes a point. Now, I love the analogy that Jesus uses here midway through this passage, because you and I know how to predict the weather quite well. We know that if a wind comes blowing from the north, that that wind is apt to be cooler, drier, and clear skies are likely to prevail. We know all too well that when the wind blows from the south, that that air is going to be hotter, full of moisture, and rain is likely. We know that when rain moves from the west to the east, that because of the prevailing winds, it's going to move through relatively quick. But we also know that if it comes from the east, it's going to move relatively slow. And today, Jesus is telling us that there are things of the kingdom that we know just as readily. Yes, there are mysteries. There are questions. There are sacred things that we cannot fully understand of God. Or of Christ, but there are still things we can know to be true about God, to be true about following Christ, and to be true about what it means to live in community and in kingdom together. We know that when we see or hear of things such as peace, our comfort, mercy, helping those in need, that is from the kingdom. We know that when we see things such as war, or violence, or hatred, or bigotry, they are not from the kingdom. It is clear. And just as we know the prevailing winds and how that functions in the weather, we know how the kingdom of God blows. And we can recognize it. And it is not that hard to see. But sometimes we fail at this. And we do not heed as we ought to heed what we see. And knowingly, we can ignore and not adjust our lives according to the nature of the winds of the kingdom in our life and in our living. And that is what Jesus speaks to today in a very uncomfortable gospel. And because of this, Jesus says emphatically to those in front of him, you hypocrites, ouch, that's harsh. It's not easy on the ears to even come out of my mouth. Now the Greek word for hypocrites, pronounced just like we pronounce it, it actually describes an actor, a stage actor, if you will. It's meant to, and that's what folks in those days would have understood of that. Maybe we don't as much. So essentially what Jesus is doing is accusing people of play-acting as followers of Christ. And so my own paraphrase of this would be that Jesus is saying, as you pretend to act like you're following me. But in reality, you're only play-acting in your faith. He's talking to those who knew full well what the laws and what the prophets and what God expected, but who for various reasons choose to live as if they did not know. These are not about things we don't know. These are the things that he just says we do know to be true. And today, the expectations that come with following Christ come to clear focus. The cost for following Christ comes into clear focus, and the one we call the Prince of Peace even says to us, I did not come to bring peace to you. Now, I want to return to that idea towards the end of my sermon, 
But for almost half of a chapter now, Jesus has put forth one hard message after another, and today's wasn't even the hardest. So where did Jesus go who was with us last week? Where did this one who came last week comforting us and asking us, don't be afraid? Where did that Jesus go? Who is this now talking about bringing down fires from the heavens and talking about the frustrations he feels because of his mission and even telling us that he did not come to unite us but to divide us? Who is this? Can this be the same Jesus that last week called us the endearing term little flock? What's changed? I would offer that nothing's changed, which in part is part of the problem. The kingdom in Christ had come. The Savior of the world had been born and living among the world, but God's people in the world would not accept it, would not see it, although it was right in front of them, and they lived otherwise. Think about the things Jesus saw and what he did and, and the divisions that he revealed. I think about the woman who was found guilty for adultery. And the good religious folks decided it was time to stone her to death. But Jesus, exposing our creating division, stands physically between the two. Creating a divide and tells them, let the first one without sin, throw, without sin throw your stone first. And they all drop their stones. All of them? Perhaps they already knew that he was right. Where some want to unload violence against sinners. Those who follow Christ are to unload forgiveness. Jesus created a division in his own hometown when he preached his first sermon he preached to them about the fact that God was not pleased, that God's people were not caring for those in need as they ought to, and they took it personally. And they picked him up and took him to the edge of the cliff and were going to throw him off that cliff to his death. But somehow he found his feet on the ground. He walked right through that angry crowd unharmed. And he concluded his mission. Maybe deep down, they too knew he was right. So no, Jesus has not taken a turn away from being a prince of peace. And, and Jesus has not become wrathful. Yet, he also will not turn away from facing and seeing and naming the harder truths and reality of this world, even among those he loved the most. Recall he once accused Peter of being Satan because he tried to get between Jesus and his mission. Divided as they were in that moment. Jesus never ignores powers or principalities that lorded over God's people. He always disturbed things, broke false peace. And if we are to follow him, we must do the same. We cannot play act in following Christ. We must follow him fully. And to fully live our lives alongside Christ, it will lead us to love the outcast, the sinner, and the rejected. It will lead us to put ourselves between those who mean to do harm and those they mean to do harm to. It will lead us to create division. 
There will be those in this world that we are called to love that the world does not want us to love. And if we're not creating divisions in such moments and places, it may be that we're not fully following. We want to avoid conflict, but when we avoid conflict to preserve a lesser peace, Jesus has no time for it, no patience for it, no taste for it. So here's the question before us. How often do we settle for a lesser peace? And when we do, what is the cost? Jesus longs for wholeness and fullness. Jesus neither has patience nor interest in anything less for anyone. He never looked past suffering or abuse or oppression or bigotry or poverty and said, well, ain't that a shame, and did nothing. And once more, he will not accept us doing that either. Now, I have to tell you, some days this passage hits harder than they do at other times. And last week, I suggested that over the next few weeks, we would hear stories of Jesus encountering us in a way to lift us up. And that is true today. It is still true. Yet, this passage also wants to wake us up. This passage also wants to stand us up so that we can see what God sees. There is a cost for doing so that Jesus acknowledges. And those costs, sometimes divisions, happen between those we love the most. I thought about this very passage, knowing that was coming up a couple of weeks ago. I happened to be seeing a, what was a really meaningful photography exhibit at a museum in, in North Carolina. And these are pictures about those seeking to cross the borders from Mexico into the United States. In one of the photographs, there's this blue barrel out in, the, out in the middle of this wide, beautiful expanse of a desert. It just seemed out of place there. But what I learned is there are hundreds of these barrels placed along the borders of our nation. And each of those 50-gallon barrels are full of water so that those who make, try to make their way to the border might have a thing, uh, water to drink in places where it did not exist. Hundreds of people, thousands of people over the years die from thirst and exposure to the heat in those areas. But many of those barrels are empty. And they're empty because of small bullet holes in them of those who want to deter those who want to make their way to the border. And I looked at this image, and I think about this image, and I hear the words of Christ. And I think the nature, and I think about the nature of our conversations around immigration and how heated and, and divisive they can be. But I do know this for, to be for sure, as sure as the winds from the north bring cold air, that when we deny water to those who are thirsty, it is a sin. Some days, the whole world seems to live at a crossroads. And the things that want to bring division and conflict, they come at us from every direction. And the church is not immune to this. But I know this. We must always respond in love to all who struggle, to all who are poor, and we must always welcome all who are rejected. 
nothing less will do. The places Jesus tells us to stand are rarely comfortable. They're rarely easy. They cost us much. And for this reason, it means a lot for me to hear Jesus today express how frustrated he was, how difficult and stressful it was for him. I find a companion in Christ today because the son of the creator of all the universe feels like we do sometimes. Thanks be to God, we're not alone. I am a hypocrite more than I want to admit sometimes. I do not speak when I should speak. I do not go all the places I should go. And I need to do better. I'm like anyone else who fears rejection by those that I love because I stand where Jesus wants me to stand. And there's one more thing I know. As true as it is that the warm wind comes from the south, there is nothing, nothing in our human experience more painful than divisions between those we love the most. Those are the hardest. And perhaps what I share in my own experience resonates with you. And if so, there is help. We have a helper in the form of Christ, and we can find our courage because we know Christ knows what this is like. We can confess that we do not always see as God wants us to see. We are blinded at times. Isaiah 7, which is another lectionary reading for today, tells us what God sees. And what God sees there is all the men and women of Judah are the garden that God was proud of. I love that. You and I are like plants, things that are grown in this creation. We're part of it, and God is so proud of us. But it goes on to say, he looked for a crop of justice, and he saw them murdering each other. He looked for a harvest of righteousness, and he only heard the moans of victims. God sees us. God loves us. God is proud of us. But this love will not keep God from seeing injustice and violence when it is among us. Jesus saw the same, and we're implored to see the same. God's response was to send prophets, to send Christ, and now today God sends the church. We are called to stand, to speak out, to advocate, to fill in the gaps where Christ would have us to be, and our help comes from Christ to do so. Christ knows what it's like as one rejected himself, crucified because of his mission, and continue to love them anyway. One person wrote that the word of the Lord in the person of Jesus is an invitation to stand in the midst of the fire of God. Utterances throughout time. And the hope of this idea, which I love, is that just like the fires of Pentecost, heavenly fires may rain down upon us today, burn among us, and burn away all hate, all differences, all injustices. These are the fire that Jesus want to bring, not fires of wrath, but fires of refining. It's like a two-edged sword, Jesus says, that God so desires to cut through all the voices that want to speak to us today. Aren't there many? But God wants to hear God's voice. And what I've learned is we can ignore any voice that wants us to be angry or violent or full of vitriol. 
We can ignore any voice that wants us to, to see or speak of others in, in anything other than short of loving or respectful. We can ignore them because we know that they're not from the kingdom. There is no place for them among us. Instead, and as it has been since the ancient of days, God speaks justice, welcomes the stranger, offers grace to the sinner, and loves unconditionally. The gospel of Jesus is alive. It is active, and it is burning. And these are the fires of heaven that want to come down and to kindle among us. The word made flesh, Christ, didn't come to give us a lukewarm, lesser peace. Going along to get along has no space in the kingdom. As I read another to say, Jesus does not come literally to divide us in and of itself. It's simply what happens when he comes among us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That has not changed. And I think Luke would agree with me because Luke here, when Jesus says he didn't bring peace, uses a whole other word than we use. He uses this word for peace, arene. And essentially it means harmony. It means getting along or, or quietness. But it doesn't convey what we mean when we say Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You see, when we call him the Prince of Peace, it's from the Hebrew. And there his title is Sar Shalom. Shalom is the peace that we're called to. Shalom is about, is about um, harmony and quietness, but it's also, it's much more. It's, it's about human relationships. Relationships that take in the welfare, the wholeness, the completeness, and the friendships that God calls us to. So Jesus did not come to bring Irene. He came to bring shalom. And my hope is that the fire of shalom will burn within me and among us more and more in the days and the years ahead. You see, the good news about this fire is it's not a fire that destroys us. Now, don't get me wrong. Fire hurts. It burns. It's not comfortable to stand near. But when we feel the heat of advocating for and loving and welcoming those God calls us to love and welcome, be mindful. That heat is God's presence. First Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. That's what he means. A woman once asked a man who was refining her silver, how do you know when the silver's refined? How do you know when you've melted it and heated it and burned it long enough that it's refined and all the impurities are gone. And she said, well, he said to her, well, I can see my face in the silver. May you live your life as kingdom people. And because you do, may the face of Christ shine in you for all to see. Find strength in Christ. Love those Christ love. And know that God loves you. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we close our worship, if you'd stand and join me in singing number 700 in the red hymnal, Abide With Me. Mm -hmm. 